Hello and welcome to the podcast for the December 2009 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this month I'm delighted to be joined once again by TLO's Audrey Seskia. Hi Audrey. Hi Richard. Hi, good to see you. Audrey, let's start with a research article and this one is looking at the effect of HIV infection on cancer. Audrey, what's the background to this study? Well, early in the HIV epidemic, it became clear that HIV infection was associated with an increased risk of cancer. Indeed, HIV-infected individuals have a higher risk of Kaposi sarcoma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma and cervical cancer, the so-called AIDS-defining cancers. But these patients have also an increased risk of non-AIDS-defining cancers, including anal cancer, Hodgkin lymphoma, liver cancer, and lung cancer. While the effect of HIV infection and antiretroviral treatment on the risk of these specific cancers is controversial, here Marguerite Giguet and her colleagues were able to assess how HIV infection and treatment affect cancer risk. So Audrey, can you give us some details about the methodology of this study? So they studied incidence rates of seven specific cancers in HIV-infected patients according to the extent of immunodeficiency measured as CD4 count, viral load, and antiretroviral treatment exposure. They used the French hospital database containing more than 50,000 patients infected by HIV who had been followed up for around five years. And what were the main findings from the research? Of the various factors they looked at, a recent low CD4-positive T-cell count was found to be the best predictor of various cancers, including Kaposi sarcoma, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, Hodgkin lymphoma, liver cancer, lung cancer, and cervical cancer. They also showed that a recent high level of HIV RNA was associated with an increased risk of Kaposi sarcoma and non-Hodgkin lymphoma, and that long-term antiretroviral therapy was protective for the AIDS-defining cancers. So, Audrey, what do you think are the implications from this study for individuals with HIV? This study provides a detailed investigation of the role of CD4 cell count, viral load and HIV therapy in relation with the incidence of various cancers. It establishes that immunodeficiencies increases the risk of all cancers they have investigated, and it also suggests that antiretroviral therapy would be most beneficial in terms of reducing risk of cancer if it restores or maintains the CD4 count. And therefore, CD4 count could take an increasing role in cancer-specific screening programs for HIV-infected individuals. And for instance, cervical cancer screening programs should be regularly offered to HIV-positive women. Thanks very much, Audrey. And next, another research article, and this is looking at the potential of the visual assessment of colorectal polyps. These polyps are sometimes, not always, but sometimes precursors of malignancies. What's the background to this study? What's the aim here, Audrey? Well, an important proportion of colorectal polyps are not malignant, although, of course, they have the potential to become malignant. And pathological assessment is often used only to indicate the time to the next colonoscopy. It's important to remember that polyps smaller than 1 cm constitute 90% of all colorectal polyps and they rarely contain cancer. Currently, even small polyps that have a very small risk of harboring cancer are sent for histology because the number of adenomas is a good determinant of long-term risk of advanced neoplasia and it allows an informed decision on future surveillance intervals. 
In fact, these small polyps are an ideal target for reducing the cost of management through real-time visual endoscopic assessment of polyp, followed by resection and discarding of tissue without pathological assessment, also called the resect and discard policy. Here, the aim of this trial was to assess whether optical diagnosis with narrowband imaging of small polyps is feasible and safe in routine clinical practice. Previously, optical diagnosis has been tried with white line alone, but this was not very accurate. And the key point with this technology, white light plus narrowband imaging, is that non-experts could use it with a very short learning curve, and the technology is becoming readily available since the push button technology comes as a standard on new equipment. And what about the methodology? Can you just briefly run through that? So for this prospective study, four colonoscopists with different level of experience predicted polypistology using optical diagnosis with narrowband imaging. 130 patients were included and 363 polyps smaller than 1 cm were studied. The primary outcome was the accuracy of polyp characterization using optical diagnosis compared with histopathology, which is the current gold standard. Optical diagnosis was also used to predict the nest uh, surveillance interval, and these predictions were compared with intervals predicted by current guidelines using histopathology. And result-wise, Audrey, how did the visual assessment compare with that gold standard, which, as you just said, is uh, histopathology? Well, overall accuracy for optical diagnosis in this study was uh, 93%, with 6% of adenomas incorrectly diagnosed which is similar to the overall diagnosis yield for standard histopathology. Interestingly, assessment of small polyps and planning of surveillance with narrowband imaging result in the same recommended surveillance interval as indicated by pathological assessment in 98% of the cases. So therefore, uh, for polyps smaller than 1 cm, in vivo optical diagnosis seems to be an acceptable strategy to assess polyp and future surveillance intervals. Very interesting study, Audrey. Um, what about the clinical implications? Is there enough evidence from this study to shape or alter clinical practice straight away? Well, also some polyps, depending on their location and size, might still be sent for histopathology. The capability to correctly diagnose a polyp during colonoscopy by optical technique would allow many to either be left in situ with consequent reduced risk of operative complication or resect it but then discard it without the need for formal histopathology. The other important point is that surveillance intervals could be predicted at that visit rather than having to wait for histopathology results. So such a policy could lead to substantial savings in time and cost, and if the patient does not have to wait uh, for results, this should reduce their anxiety too. And therefore, it represents an attractive approach for physicians, patients, and healthcare providers. Thanks very much, Audrey. And finally, just signpost a few other highlights from the December issue. Well, yes, I invite listeners to read the leading age editorial this month, it tackles the issue of cancer clusters. There is not one week goes by without a new cancer cluster being splashed across newspaper headlines. The editorial discusses the need for more public education on what a cluster is, as most clusters are not true clusters and many are simply statistical anomalies. The piece also calls for a more responsible media and more research on this difficult topic.
And finally, we also have an interesting keynote comment looking at the recent and past Nobel Prize winners for those working in fields related to cancer. Great, excellent. Well, many thanks, Audrey. Those are some of the highlights from the December 2009 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Many thanks for listening, and we'll see you next year.